Hello, friends, and welcome to Short Story Saturday for the month of February. And I can't pronounce February, but there you go. So the book this month was A Collection of Obsessions by Michael R. Fletcher. Mr. Fletcher, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're going to go through each story of the book. So if you have not read the stories, you're about to be spoiled on a bunch of them. <laughs> so just a heads up. I wanted to ask you before we get started on the uh, to get into each story, um, about the cover. So what was the inspiration for the cover? Uh, so short stories and short story collections don't sell at all. Hmm. Like, really, you get like a couple of hardcore fans buy them, but that's it. Uh, so I knew there was, I had no budget for like hiring Felix or something to, you know, I, I couldn't spend thousands of dollars on a cover because it's just, there was no way it was going to recoup. Um, and my daughter, uh, is, uh, very much an artist and is constantly drawing. Now she was, I think she was like seven when she did the cover for this. Um, and she did this piece of art, um, with, you know, the way she phrased it sort of like the, the light and the dark together. And she had this whole like unicorn story where there was a dark side unicorn and a light side unicorn and all this, uh, it's kind of oddly complex story. Um, and, you know, when I saw that, I just uh, I really wanted to use it as the cover art. And, you know, because uh, I figured no one was going to buy it anyway. And <laughs> and I don't mean that as a slight, but this it this was entirely for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I kind of didn't care what, uh, you know, what anyone else was going to think. And the idea of having my daughter do the cover art for it, for it uh, was just more important than kind of anything else. And it made her super happy, so that was good. And then she charged me, so <laughs> mercenary little creep. Well, what's her fee? What did she charge you? <laughs> okay, it was a, it was more than I was expecting. <laughs> was it food and shelter? Was that the? <laughs> no, no. She's she's like, I already get that for free, Daddy. I want cash. <laughs> cash money. Yeah. And uh, Harfoot is here. Hey, Harfoot, thanks for coming by. And Please. Star, thanks for coming by to say hello. And of course, Andres is always around. Thank you for your support. So, um, I know you you mentioned about short story collections not selling very well. What was your what what kind of was the what kind of put in your mind? I want to publish these short stories, knowing that they may not be all that uh, popular. Right. Uh, so originally, like some of these short stories date back to you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, and, uh, the first thing I ever wrote was a book called 88, uh, which later turned into ghosts of tomorrow. Uh, but I was shopping 88, trying to find a publisher for it and, and getting nowhere. Uh, I got hundreds and hundreds of rejections from agents and publishers and stuff. Um, couldn't, couldn't sell it. And at the time I thought it was because I didn't have any sort of a, you know, street cred as an author, you know, I'd never published anything never mind a book i never published a short story so i decided the uh the, the path to you know literary success was to write some amazing short stories and publish those in magazines a whole bunch of like really you know famous professional magazines build up like a level of fame there and then and then people would you know sort of uh look at my books and recognize me for the incredible genius i am <laughs> and so i wrote a short story and every single magazine on the planet said no and so i was like fuck wrote another short story and every magazine on the planet was like 
No. And so that kept going. Um, over a year later, over a year of writing short stories and submitting them, um, I racked in over a hundred rejection letters. Wow. Um, and then I sold my, my first short story, this like cute little story, uh, artificial stupidity, uh, to a Canadian science fiction magazine called on spec in, I think I sold it in 2010. Um, and then it appeared in 2011. And you gotta remember, like I started in 2008, that was two years of zero success, three wow. years before I actually got to see one of my stories in print. Um, and you know, when I sold that first story, I was like, yes, I have made it now. They will buy my stories. And then it was another year and about another hundred rejections, uh, before I sold a second story. Wow. Um, and at that point I kind of started realizing that uh, nobody gives a shit about short stories. Publishers, they don't look at your short story sales and go, oh, look, he sold short stories. Let's buy his book. They read your book. And if your book is shit, they're not going to pick it up. Um, so I just, I needed to learn how to write better books. So you changed but, your focus then. Yeah. So I, I'd written a pile of short stories. And then since, you know, 2011, I, I had had more success selling short stories. At first landed a couple in, um, in, uh, in pro markets and then later after like beyond redemption came out and i'd sold some books uh at that point people started coming to me and asking for short stories like for anthologies and stuff which that's a whole different beast from sending out you know stories and bringing uh you know rejection letters so uh, you know it, I, I don't remember what year i published the uh, collection but i realized i had a book's worth of short stories wow just sitting around like not doing anything at that point. And, you know, I'd sold them each one. I think he typically sell rights for about a year or so. Mm -hmm. And they were, none of them had been published for, for a while. So I, you know, I thought I'd just, I'd put together this little anthology of my own stuff really just for like the half dozen hardcore fans who are going to read it and be like, Oh, cool. <laughs> like that's, that's where that came from. And like, you can see the evolution of some of the ideas. Like there's some manifest illusion stuff in there. Um, there's actually, uh, Narilska groans. You can see the, uh, where the, the idea for the stones from Narilska groans came from in some of the cyberpunk stories. Cause that's where actually, I, that's where I sort of like ripped that idea from. Um, and then I really, I always liked the idea of, um, introducing each short story and just sort of talking about it a bit and about where I was. And because again, I'm, you know, the assumption is six people are going to read this and it's going to be the six people are like, yeah, I like Mike. And so I wanted to talk to them. Um, so I just, you know, like brutally honest, sort of like shared where I was at when, uh, you know, that particular story was written. It's a lot of fun. Nice. And I think I mentioned to you before we went live, but I, I tried to avoid the introduction parts. Otherwise, you know, I try not to, so I can think of stuff to ask you, but I did also wonder, um, is there a, a rhyme or reason to the order of the stories in the book? Did you have, it's kind of like picking out a track list for an album. Did you yeah, throw a lot of thought into it? Do I actually have a copy? Well, that's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a copy. Uh, I think I sold my last one. Um, there was, and I can't remember what that rhyme or reason was. Um, in part, like at first I was thinking to do it chronologically so you could sort of see the growth. Mm -hmm. um in the end i didn't do that because i wanted to uh sort of bounce between genres and you know sort of uh 
chronologically didn't work. In the end, I, I there was it was a it was all feel based. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I want to yeah, separate the science fiction from the fantasy, like sort of um spread them out more rather than having like the front half all science fiction, back half all fantasy kind of yeah. thing. Uh, so there there was some thought into it, but um, not a ton. <laughs> How tough is writing a fantasy short story? Because there's not a lot, there's a ton of horror short stories. I find that there's horror short stories everywhere. And I, I love short stories anyway, but you don't see a whole lot of fantasy or science fiction short stories. I mean, I don't at least. What's, is there a, something that you do to to write a short story that's fantasy or science fiction based? Because there's, you have to build a world around it to, you know, how, how is that difficult to do? Yeah, I, I mean, I find short stories a lot more difficult than uh, full length novels um especially fantasy you've got a you've got a very small amount of time space words <clears throat> to put your your world and your character into the uh the reader's head mm -hmm. in a novel you can take chapters to do that you can you can take an entire novel slowly putting it all in there and the reader's going to be happy they they get to discover it over hundreds of thousands of words they're blissful short story you've got four thousand words to get a whole world in there or at least the important parts and to have a, str a character strong enough to carry it all and that's really difficult and i would say i'm not good at it hmm. uh i much prefer um novel length stuff i find that a lot easier hmm. and uh, harfoot says as someone who wasn't always a big a big reader growing up short stories were always a great gateway to eventually reading full-length books and epics. Yeah, I, I read a ton of short story stuff when I was a kid. Um, I used to get uh, the science fiction best of anthologies like all the time, plow through those, and would often use them to find new writers. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, for this collection, I kind of, and a lot of your stories have this little tint of humor in, you know, this like Kirby enthusiasm kind of humor in all of them. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, Anna Smith Spark, I talked to her yesterday and she said that you have, you're great at injecting, hu uh, humility or giving, making them seem, making your characters seem like human beings, like giving them, rounding them out and giving them, uh, hum humanity when they may be even awful people. So even the awful characters, you, there's still a, something in there that you can see some hope or some, like something good in them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always my goal is I. I, I find the idea of like good guys and bad guys, good and evil, right and wrong, yeah, largely horseshit. Um, <laughs> the world's a lot more gray than that. And um I I just I want them I want them to be people. Not they're never characters to me. I, I don't think of any of the characters in the book as a character. You know, they they are not there to serve the story. Um, so they're not gonna make choices based on what the story needs. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a get in the head of the character and be that person as I'm writing, um, which, which is what makes plotting, um, books a fucking pain in the ass because no matter what I think should happen when I'm in the character's head, when I am that character, <clears throat> if they see something else that makes more sense, they're going to do it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know that I'm a sucker for beyond redemption and manifest illusions. You know, I'm a sucker for that. I'm. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for that third book, but but I'm no pressure. But uh, so the first story was, and you, you, you're going to have to tell me what the names because I probably mispronounced the names. Anomi, is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, an anime. 
enemy. Yeah. Okay. I told you. So uh, this is one of the characters from Beyond Redemption. Was this written before or after Manifest Illusions? Uh, what was the story called? Uh, intellectual Property. Oh, that's right. Okay, so that was way, way predates Manifest Illusion stuff. Hmm. Um, intellectual Property was written 2009. That's the one that appeared in um, Interzone, the UK magazine. I couldn't find it. Yeah, 2011 or 2012, that one appeared in Interzone. That's science fiction, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I had totally forgotten that I used that name there. Really? Uh, I do, yeah, yeah, I do. I reuse names. Uh, I mean, enemy, it actually means something. So I, I tend to do that hmm. fair amount, which is, uh, you know, grab grab words where not everyone is going to necessarily immediately recognize it as as a word um, and, and use it as a as a name just because it entertains me. And it's kind of <laughs> why I do all this shit. <laughs> Especially, and you, you may not may not even remember this, but one of the, the lines I wrote down was, "What do you call a Wookie? What do you call a Wookie with an ass fetish?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, Star Wars joke. I, I I never had a punchline to it. Uh, I just had this in this scene in my head where um, you know, this person is sort of like a security guard has to ask these weird questions, and then measure neural activity of the person sort of passing through. Um, and all of it was part of like the, um, making sure they are who they say they are kind of thing. Um, and that, that was just a, the question popped into my head. I had no idea what the answer was and just, I laughed. So, so it got in there. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, it's interesting when you read all the short stories in a collection of obsessions, some of the characters are allowed to change. Some cannot escape their path. Yeah, that's, um, it's sort of a collection of my obsessions is I've got, uh, I seesaw between thinking humans are people are largely incapable of growth and change. And that's mm. beyond redemption. Um, everyone ends the book as shitty as they were when they began it. Um, and sometimes that's real to me. And then sometimes I'm like, nah, that's, that's dark. That's bullshit. People can grow. People can, can be better and they can change and they can learn. And then, you know, I go back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I did think it was because it they talked about, you know, Google tracking, tracking us. And I thought it is, if it's even more interesting to me now, knowing that you wrote it so long ago, because it's rings, it's like, like, are we that far away from this? Yeah, I've, I read it. So uh, sorry, wrote it so long ago. I barely remember it. Uh, did I, was there stuff on identity tracking in there? I honestly, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, the the uh, the tracker, the I forget the name of the chip that they would. So when they were at work, they would put it in and. Oh, the memory back. plug stuff. Memory yeah, plug. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're a little ways off that, but it, honestly, if you're protecting intellectual property, it makes so much sense for the company to want to take hold of that, and they will do that the moment that sort of technology is available. Oh yeah, but it was, it was almost like a horror story because you don't know what you do when you're at work. You don't remember anything. You just you go to work mm -hmm. and you. And yeah, and it can it work. can feel like a blessing because like if your job's shitty, you get to unplug at the end of the day and you're like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, I don't know what happened, but I feel fine. You go home <laughs> a little tired, sort of wondering what you did. Yeah. Especially like the you may not remember the the couple 
when when the husband got home and they would ask, he would ask his wife, uh, "How was your day?" I don't know. How was yours? I don't know. <laughs> There's a little tense of humor in there, just to you know, kind of break yeah. up the the darkness. Uh, so the the Broken Dead, the second story, was also with the same character, um, but I thought this one was probably the most emotional one in the in the uh, in the in the collection because um, of the you know she had to die for this poem to be completed and she's like a sacrificial lamb and so the end I thought was a, a dark happy ending. Yeah, uh, that was. Um kind of an odd story, but very much written about a relationship I was sort of watching happen at the time mm -hmm. with a singer slash poet in this sort of goth band who was the, you know, poet in the story mm -hmm. uh, and is, and is sort of um, his girlfriend. And it was just such a, like a messed up relationship. Uh, I wanted to try and capture some of that, but, you know, twist it into that manifest delusions world. Mm. It worked. <laughs> It was great. And uh, so the third one was uh, Death of the Pass. And I did I did take a peek at the introduction on this one because you know, you noted that it was RPG inspired and it ties into the Blackstone Heart world. It's the wizard that was born again and brought back to life after being dead and in, in servitude. And I caught some themes of some like some free will themes in this one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, like originally way, way back uh i ran a very long-running stormbringer campaign you know based on the alric books uh that's where the obsidian path stuff comes from that's where the uh, uh death and dignity death of the past those short stories came from um yeah and free will and who you are has always been sort of um you know an obsession for me like what defines you as a person like if you if you change your memories does that change who you are you know, if you change the order of your memories, uh, yeah, I think you'll find that's probably uh that probably sneaks into a lot of my stories. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, for anyone watching, the collection is available on Kindle Unlimited, so check that out. It's uh, go check it out, Kindle Unlimited. the uh, The next one was a second chance. It was one of your first stories, and how you noted that in the you, I did pick at this one too, but you noted that you resist the urge to go back and rewrite your older stories. Is that tough to not want to go back and smooth things out? Yeah. I mean, especially, uh, publishing them, like making them available for, for people to read. Um, they're rough. Like I, you just, it's like any skill, right? You get better at it. And to look at something you'd done years ago. And that one I wrote, I gotta remember sometime in the nineties, I think wow. like long before I'd written anything else. Uh, there were a couple of short stories in that collection, as I recall, that were written originally in the 90s hmm. um, and then totally forgotten. Uh, when I started putting together the collection, uh, I ended up calling a friend of mine who I used to live with, uh, who is like a, um, a data pack rat hmm. uh, and saying, do you have any of those old stories? And you know, about a week later, he got back to me and was like, yeah, I have them all. And it was in some like word two format or something like that. Um, so yeah, there was the urge to, to like rewrite and polish them and make them all, you know, as slick as I am capable. I, I, I didn't think that was as interesting though. I mean, again, because of the, 
the collection is for those six people who are gonna like buy it yeah. i thought they'd be more interested in seeing like what my stuff was like when i mm -hmm. first thought oh i'm gonna write i'm gonna write a short story like in 94 or whatever it was wow you know so um yeah i, th I, th I thought they were more interesting as they were rather than me sort of changing them and make it making it seem like oh i've always been a writer it's like <laughs> yeah no it's, it's been a long road and some of my early stuff it sucks I thought this was, I actually enjoyed this with the clones and the crime and punishment thing, you know, how you handle the, I thought that was a neat idea. I'm surprised it was one of your newer or one of your oldest stories. Enjoy that one. Uh, so we have the summer of 79 and I couldn't get that stupid song out of my head the whole time I was reading this one, the summer of 69. <laughs> uh, so you, you mentioned there was a childhood story. I was wondering what inspired, uh, what inspired that story it was how much of this is true to life. Yeah. That is a, it's a combination of childhood memories, like sort of um, cherry picked over about a decade of vacations, so family vacations, um, like literally from 79 kind of on. Um, and so that, you know, there are scenes along the beach and Lake Huron, you know, some of those are, you know, semi-real dreamlike versions of what I remember. Uh, stuff at the cottage, uh, my dad chopping his shin open with an axe, like that shit really happened. Okay. Um, and yeah, it, it was a, this sort of a, a sort of a fond reminiscence of uh, barely remembered vacations. I thought it captured youth, the kind of the story, it gave you that feeling of, you know, the adventure kind of you know you want to go on an adventure kind of thing and you get lost for the day doing something yep that was i mean that was totally that was me as a kid yeah and harfa says i like seeing what it was like for someone to actually be be the living dead looking at your body falling apart the horror of having your head chopped off and being stuck in one spot forever and uh just says uh several stories play with the idea of characters having no memories of events whether in memory plug stories or in the ones a second chance could you talk about your literary influences there? Hmm. Good question. Um, yeah. So the memory stuff, uh, probably the, my biggest literary influence there is a uh, George Alec Effinger, a uh, science fiction writer. He died a while back. Uh, he wrote, uh, I'm going to butcher the name because it's been a while. I think it was called the Marudin sequence or something like that. Um, he wrote a series of novels, um, where characters could buy, uh, personality plugs. And so you could, you could plug in different personalities to sort of change who you were. And there were many were based on like famous people. Like you could buy Elvis or Chuck Norris kind of thing. Uh, and I, I loved that idea. Um, and the memory plug stuff fell out of, uh, fell out of those stories. Um, that was me sort of taking somebody else's idea and, and twisting it and see where I could sort of like take it. Um, and then, I mean, it's me being me. It always turns dark because I, I'm sort of like, well, how do we abuse this now? You've got this technology. Like how do we, who's going to use this and, uh, you know, make it dark for me. Always the optimist. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> that's a good, that's a great question though. Uh, so the next one was, uh, Let's see. Uh, Death and Dignity. 
diplomacy and I wrote down this quote, diplomacy and negotiations were always easiest when backed with a sharp blade. <laughs> and the, especially like the, after the severed head is smashed in the, who's laughing now, bitch. Like the, <laughs> Uh, always subtle. Always subtle. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that was another. That was another fun one. Just the the humor is because otherwise, I, I guess you almost need some humor to lighten up the some of the stories, right? But I think that's just your personality. I don't think that's. Yeah, I, honestly, I I never put thought into it. Like I don't think about pacing, which might be a weakness of mine. Um, <laughs> but at, you know, at no point am I like. This has been dark and gloomy for a while. I should put some of humor in here. Hmm. How do I be funny? Like, I, I don't think I could do that. Um, you know, I just stare blankly at a wall. Um, but, you know, as the story is coming, the characters and again, like in my head, I am each of the characters. Um, they just say shit. And I'm like, well, fuck, that was funny. Like, in it goes. Yeah. And the rest is interesting because you also have a lot of playing around with memories in Philip K. Dick. Yep. Yeah. I read a ton of Philip K. Dick when I was a kid. Um, that was so long ago. Uh, I don't remember a ton of it. Uh, but definitely. Like a lot of the cl classic science fiction um, is, you know, like background influences for me. Yeah. It's just, it's so long ago. I, I don't clearly remember how it sort of influenced. Hmm. When you have influences that are really heavy influences and you sit down to write something, is there ever a concern to not <clears throat> be a carbon copy of something else? Because, um, you know, did you ever just say, well, is this an exact replica of what it is, is influencing me? Yeah. I, um, it's not something I worry about because, um, I, I, I never just take something somebody else has done and then copy it. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, like, uh, influences are best when they, when they trigger ideas. Um, and so like, like the memory plugs, George, uh, Alec Effinger was doing personality plugs and I was like, oh, cool. Where do I take that? Yeah. You know, um, Stormbringer, huge influence on me, probably like one of the biggest influences. And, um, at no point do I really quite copy Stormbringer. Mm -hmm. It's always like, oh, how do I take some of those ideas and twist them? You know, how do I, how do I sort of like play with that different way? Yeah. Because, you know, even with just with YouTube, there's been channels that I, I've always enjoyed. And then I find myself doing the exact same thing they do. And I think I just, you just do it like without thinking about it. So yeah. that's why I can never be a writer. Cause I would write, I would just write whatever. It, you know, that's how it starts. I mean, honestly, a ghost of tomorrow was me trying to write snow crash. Hmm. And failing really badly. I think that's the other reason I don't worry about copying people because i'm so bad at it no one will recognize what i was trying to do <laughs> okay so the next one was uh <laughs> the next one was commute the commuter the home sean versus work sean uh in the i kind of i kind of took this as the daily grind like distracted versus unplugging um you know not seeing what you have in the day-to-day -day and just kind of living for the weekend and not seeing what's in front of you and not appreciating what you have is what kind of my takeaway was. Yep. Yeah, very much. So, um, yeah, Sean, Sean Headley, the main character, uh, Sean Headley was the drummer in a goth metal band I played in for a bunch of years. And so he had the perfect name for this sort of, um, you know, cubicle drone. Yeah. 
Uh, and funny because like years later, years after the band broke up, I got an email from him. Uh, and for some reason, he Googled his name, you know, like for work purposes or something. And that that short story, uh, you know, was out there online and stuff. <laughs> he was like, what, dude, what? <laughs> and, he, you know, he just he, he loved it because it was kind of very much captured part of where his life was at the time. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But yeah, that's. um, Yeah, that, that's that's the, you know, the office cubicle grind, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we have a. Uh... Uh, Trill Nathan's here. He's your biggest fan. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's weird. Is that weird? Fans? Yeah, I'm just some some schlub writing writing. You know, with my weird stories at home. <laughs> I don't know. You have a lot of fans out there. I'm one of them, so it's kind of weird. Uh, Kent Lament. How do you, as a name for a sword? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that uh, Kent Lament. That the name of that sword was taken from the. Stormbringer campaign. Uh, one of the characters, uh, like the player characters, uh, rose up to be Theocrat of Pantang, um, which was the Mabdin, the human empire, you know, versus the Melnibonians. Um, and the player actually was was genius. Um, the Mabdin very much mimicked and were trying to copy the sort of uh, the the better Melnibonians. And so the player played his character to the T. He's this human sorcerer basically trying to live up to the Melnibonians. And of course, the moment he has enough demonology to uh, bind something to a sword, he's trying to make his own Stormbringer kind of thing. Um, and the character named uh, the player rather uh, named the sword Can't Lament. Um, and the sword's whole name was Can't Lament Kren, um, but it basically got called Can't Lament all the time. And then when I came to write the novel, um, I was digging through my old campaign notes, looking for, you know, info and digging up stuff. And I found that and I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And then it occurred to me, it was sort of a funny joke, you know, because we talked about sorrow and stuff and can't lament as in incapable of feeling lamentation or sorrow. Uh, and it really just, it stuck. And it was one of those weird little things from 93, 94. Wow. Some old notes. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, no, I've got I've got a uh, the original Stormbringer box with the books and all the old character sheets and demons wow. and stuff in it. That's yeah. cool. Uh, so the the next one was uh, something I think we can all relate to in some some way is less than twenty twenty, where the future <laughs> me wants me to do all the work and enjoy the rewards. Uh, so the, you know the present me has to do all the work. The future me wants to enjoy the the rewards and the constant battle to stay motivated and to not remain short-sighted yeah yeah that was um so the character in that is a an audio engineer uh working in shitty rock clubs mixing bands uh that was me um that was what i was doing i did that for just shy of two decades uh mixed mixed bands in clubs did live sound um and the story was based on the character was someone i knew uh, another audio engineer um and who had basically been evicted and was living in the basement of the club which was wow. like a cockroach infested shithole <laughs> and he'd come up from the basement like after the club had closed and sit on the stage back then you could drink uh, you could smoke in bars that's how long ago this was uh and sometimes like if i was working that night uh this is like way predating marriage and kids and stuff of course 
uh, I'd stay late after work and we'd turn all the stage lights on. We'd drag a table and chairs up onto the stage from the club and we'd set up drinks and ashtrays and we would sit on the stage under the stage lights, drinking and smoking and just talking shit until, you know, <laughs> time to go home <laughs> seven in the morning or whatever it was, you know, Waffle House time, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, that's uh, somewhere between fond memories and fuck, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just as a side note, P. Craig Russell's adaptation of Stormbringer came out last year in the Michael Moorcock Library of Graphic Novels. Ooh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I didn't know that. So the next one was Personality, Pri Personality Pirate. And I wondered... I think I, I know who the grandpa in the Metallica t-shirt is, and that's you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's at least part me, yeah. <laughs> and the uh, other thing was, is how how technology affects childhood now. And, you know, thinking back to, you know, I, I think of, you know, because I went to school like in the 90s, and thinking back to how different it is for kids now with technology, it's a whole different world. So just how, how different our experiences are with technology, the rate it's moving is something that, yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, that was that was one of the stories um, that I wrote when I was trying to you know land sales to earn you know street cred as a writer. So that would have been written like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think I wrote that. Wow, you've been in the game a long time, Fletcher. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like largely unnoticed. More like trying to get into the game for a long time and then <laughs> kind of in the game for the last, you know, couple of years. That's pretty interesting. It's it's a it's a long grind, it sounds like it's Yeah. I mean, you look back and you know, a smarter person probably would have quit. <laughs> you know, or or done something else or just been like, Yeah, it's my hobby and I'm fine with that. And I was never fine with it being a hobby. It's not what I wanted. You know, so I worked like a fucking psycho. Kind of crazy. Like sacrifice sleep, stop seeing friends. It's it's a little nuts. It's not really healthy. It's, or it's getting better now. Yeah, that's good. And uh the next one was character is what you are. Uh one of the quotes from this one was character is what you are in the light. It was another memory plug uh story. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this is going back a while. Uh, character is what you are in the dark. I actually can't remember where that first came from. That's not me. I didn't make that up. Um, I learned it from. Yeah, it was in the book. I forget the, it was from a TV show and this. No, a movie, uh, from a movie, uh, Buckaroo Banzai and, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. You have to see it. Brilliant fucking movie. Um, characters, what characters, what you are in the dark is one of the characters yells at it. Somebody else. It's completely mental. So yeah, it, that, that line came from there. I think it had been taken from somewhere else originally that I can't remember. Um, but I like the idea of, uh, like in the end, he sort of, uh, you know, it comes back to his father and his father had always said characters, what you are in the dark. Mm -hmm. And the idea of like, no, it's, it's when you sort of, um, when you step out into the light, when you sort of finally seen yourself, mm -hmm. that's, that's character. 
And Star says, across the eighth dimension. There we go. That's it. Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Brilliant movie. Yeah. Uh, no matter where you are, uh, no matter where you go, there you are. You are. Yeah. So many amazing lines from that movie. Yeah. And uh, personality, personality pirate is such a bittersweet story. Yeah, it's one of those I could never sell. Really? I liked, I liked it though. I, I always, I liked the character in that a lot. Oh, there's so many stories in here that I thought were just really great. And, you, and then to hear you see you couldn't sell it is kind of, kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good though. And the whole, um, you know, the best friends dating and those, the one was really, it was one of those, I, I heard the Kirby enthusiasm theme song, theme song at the end of that one, kind of the, you know, all these weird things happening and it's kind of this, this dry humor. And Buck, <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai is amazing. Uh, these memory plug stories are really good. Cool. Thank you. They were a lot of fun. Um, yeah, like I said, that's Narolska Groans, the recent book with Clayton. Uh, that that was me porting those science fiction ideas into a fantasy setting. She kind of worked out surprisingly well. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> and uh, so the next one was a, a, a flash fiction. Is that I always get the name wrong? Yeah, uh, the yeah that, that's the short one, right? The really it's, it's what twelve hundred words or something, maybe I can't remember. I loved it. It was so great. Thought it was really it was short, but it was really touching. Yeah, couldn't sell that either. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like that one. It, that's the um, he's afraid of dying. He becomes a spaceship. He ends up mining temperature differentials in dying black holes at the end of time, mm -hmm. uh, because it turns out the universe expands forever. And um, yeah, well, you that's uh, you know enjoy the grass and the the birds and go outside and spend some time while you can. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that's kind of the, do you really want to live forever? Yeah. And yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly out of curiosity. I just want to see all the shit that comes next. Yeah. Well, you can write lots of books that way too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next one was just like the rain and nothing. Well, the line that I wrote down here was nothing prepares you for getting old. And that was a the um, it was a dog the dog story the yeah. I'm a dog I'm a dog lover so that was another one that was yeah that was um like I kind of I wanted to step out of my comfort zone it's not science fiction it's not fantasy it's just a an old guy and his dogs um and I wanted to try and write something with emotional impact mm -hmm. you know and that was it. Mission accomplished there. Uh, Troll Nathan says, I think The Broken Dead was my favorite. I'm definitely not biased because of its manifest delusions. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything with manifest, I'm a sucker for anything manifest delusions. So, uh, so the next one was, I think we mentioned it a little bit ago, is artificial stupidity, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, our surprise when, when all it wants to do is eat grilled cheese sandwiches and masturbate. <laughs> uh yeah that's right so they uh we uh humanity creates an ai and they expect it to be you know super intelligent and very very useful um and it's not because it's a little bit lazy and it doesn't really it's not super interested in being useful because who, who the fuck is um <laughs> and it decides uh you know oddly that it wants to become a science fiction writer 
And so it writes, uh, at the time I was reading a bunch about organic computers because that was sort of like going to be all the rage, which hasn't really happened yet. Um, so it writes a, this artificial intelligence writes a short story about an organic computer um, that achieves sentience. And then all it really wants to do is sort of sit around masturbating and writing science fiction stories. It seemed like a fun twist. That was the, that was the first story that ever uh, actually sold. Yeah. So I was, uh, how does that work? So you send it out to uh, magazines or, or to anthologies or whatever. How does that, so if someone says, yes, I want to buy this story. How does that process work? Uh, so, I mean, this is, that was 2009, 2010 that that sold. Uh, back then, um, most magazines did not accept emails, um, email sub uh, submissions. So you printed double spaced your submission, you put it into an envelope, you mailed it a physical copy at cost to yourself. Mm. Um, and then they would mail you back, uh, a tiny little piece of paper that basically said, fuck off. No, um, which would take anywhere from a month to a year for your wow. rejection to show up. Um, in that case, uh, they mailed back and we're like, yeah, we really like this. Um, we want to buy it. Uh, they've got a set rate. Um, they mail me a contract, sign the contract, mail that back. And this is all physical mail, right? Um, they mail me a check. Uh, and then a year and a half later, it actually showed up in the magazine. Wow. For a short story. Yeah. Oh, that, that's how it was back then. Wow. That's what a. That would really, that would really suck. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the rest is a very touching story. I think he's referring to, uh, yeah. Uh, just like the rain, uh, very touching story. A friend has a dog that's 19 years old now incontinence and dementia show up some heart issues, but for its age, the story made me think of my friend's dog. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would hope that anyone who has or loves dogs could relate to that story a little bit. Oh, incontinence and dementia. I'm like, she's talking about me. <laughs> if he was, you'll forget later. So don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, Morrow says practically the dark ages. You know, it was snail yeah. mail. Yeah. I'm surprised they weren't accepting email. Some, some would, uh, you know, some of the bigger ones, uh, a lot wouldn't. I, I used to have, I used to buy stamps by the book, um, yeah. because I was, I was, constantly mailing out short stories and at the time i was trying to sell 88 um and so a lot of agents or you know those publishers accepting unagented submissions uh you would physically mail a printout of like the first three chapters your abysmally bad cover letter and synopsis all that shit in a, a big envelope wow it sucked and then you'd wait six months i remember um 88 got picked up by a small publisher in 2013. Uh, two years later, I received another rejection for it. Mm, wow. <laughs> like that's how long you sometimes waited for that stuff. Shoving uh, salt on the moon there. It's... <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So the next one was fire and flesh. And of course, another manifest delusions. Uh, so uh, just, you know, you start uh, the name. I'm going to mispronounce the name. Is it Gehirin? Yeah, Gehirn. I, I I don't speak German, so technically I don't actually know how to pronounce it. Okay, I'll just go with whatever you say. Just yeah. so we're the same. Uh, and it was just want someone to talk to. Yep. 
Yep. A story about friendship and, you know, picking the wrong friends and sort of uh, being alone and lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one was the very first, that was like the first Manifest Illusions uh, that was written before the books were, uh, before mm-hmm. Beyond Redemption, because I was still playing around with how the, um, I was playing around with what the world was going to look like. Uh, I think back then I had different terms for the different types of, uh, you know, delusionists, Geist and Kranken. You know, there were um, pyrocasts was mm-hmm. instead of um, Hasbrands and, you know, different names for a whole bunch of stuff. But some of the same characters kind of appeared in, in later stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I, I would have, if I would have had to have bet, I would have said you would read, you wrote this after but that's interesting. But yeah, I'm a sucker for anything manifest illusions. And then this one, I think one of these manifest illusion stories you mentioned that you would switch uh, genders for characters and see how different the story would be. What what have you found is different for your storytelling when you change gender? Um, my favorite thing to do if I gender swap, because uh, sometimes first drafts, I don't put a ton of thought into the story kind of like rough comes out in a quick rush. Um, so it's, they're a little lazy, um, I find, mm. uh, but if I swap two characters, but then don't change other stuff. Um, so now you've got, you know, uh, a female character written with whatever your male mental background bullshit is. Um, and it's, it just, um, it puts it in a different place. Uh, it sort of steps you back a little bit from, uh, from the normal, from the preconceptions, from, from writing the same old shit. And it changes, it changes the dynamics of the relationships to me in interesting ways. Um, which I think, I think you need to do. Like I, I do that fairly often where I will just swap genders and rewrite entire novels, um, to see how, how it impacts characters. Wow. Almost always, it's better. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, as a German, it feels strange to me. Uh, I'm sorry. As a German, it feels strange to read the German names <laughs> with their weird grammar, but the names work very well the way you invent them. Yeah, I I, I butchered a lot of that. Um, I don't I don't know German at all. That that was very much um, me and Google Translate. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't get is um, I didn't write beyond redemption going, Oh, this is going to be published by big five publisher and it will be available worldwide. Like uh, my first book, I think sold 32 copies Hmm. and I wasn't sure if anyone was going to buy this one. Um, And certainly I didn't think I was going to get an agent, didn't think it would get published. And so I, I was writing it for like a couple of close friends and they don't speak German. And I thought, you know, what'd be really funny is I'm going to hide some like little Easter eggs in these German names and, you know, hints of like about plot or character stuff. Um, and that was it. You know, like I never expected it to get published. And then when the publisher picked it up, uh, I was kind of like, well, they're going to want to change all these names. And they just, they just didn't like, okay. <laughs> but I love the way it feels. I love the, the way the German names sound. I think that they fit really well for that sort of dark, grim, dark kind of setting. Yeah, they do. And uh, so the last one was the, oh, I'm sorry, uh, second to last one was the Invisible Assassin. 
and it was your first story. And I wondered what it was like to reflect back uh, and reread your first story now that you've come to all you've come so far. <clears throat> yeah, it was um, it was really neat because I that was one of the ones that I'd lost and my friend dug up mm-hmm. uh, the, the digital pack rat. Um, it was neat to see these ideas, um, you know, 20 years later and realize that they weren't outdated. You know, there was stuff that I did, you know, would need to be changed if you sort of, uh, we're going to try and publish it, but the actual like ideas, the, the tech stuff kind of aged surprisingly well. Um, and funny, so that was the first, I think that was the first short story I ever actually finished writing. Uh, it never got published. I don't think I submitted it. Uh, I like I wrote it and lost it. Never thought about it again for years. Um, then intellectual property was me trying to rewrite that story from memory because um, it's kind of the same story. And so I was like, oh, well, how did that happen? And I, and I could kind of remember the plot. And I got a ton of stuff wrong. But it was, it's literally me trying to remember a short story I'd written, you know, 15 years earlier and, yeah. you know, rewriting it. Wow. That's pretty neat. And the, uh, so the last one was probably my favorite story. I think of the collection, uh, the Indine lands so creative and immersive. And you can really, you, you really feel like you're there the way that you describe the environment and the situation. And it's, it's such an interesting concept of this, you know, this battle that this gladiator type thing that's going on where did that uh, idea come from um so the undying lands that actually takes place in the um the obsidian path world <laughs> there, there are hints at that in the background there's wizardry necromancy and all that stuff um and it touches on a little bit the uh death of the past short story um so death of the past a necromancer raises this huge army of the dead and she fucks up. She messes up the spell um, and everything raises up. And then anything that dies in that area afterwards raises, becomes, you know, comes not back to life, but becomes undead as well. And so uh, the Undying Lands was sort of like, okay, a thousand years later, somebody's built an arena there because like, that's what you do. Like, how can we make a buck off this? And so they've made it built an arena there so that they can have, uh gladiatorial fights where people die and then come back to life and can keep fighting because that's fun um yeah and that's uh i I think part of why that story kind of works is because um it's so narrowly focused there's no real attempt at doing much beyond the arena and because it's it's such a that you only get to see that tiny little bit of the world uh you, you know you get to resist the temptation to cram in all the background world building you did that's completely unnecessary yeah <laughs> another story that that ends on a dark but hopeful note even though you don't have a lot of uh <laughs> don't have a lot of hope but it, it, the end of that was in a in a grim dark kind of way is uplifting <laughs> yeah that was that was a fun story that was a i can't remember who did that for an anthology was that grim dark magazine i can't remember hmm. maybe it's in your introduction but that was uh, fun. Uh, being being hired to write a story is way more fun than writing a story and then sending it off for your rejection letter. Yeah, it was guaranteed. And yeah. it was when a, a magazine says, we're going to pay you this, write as a story. It's like, yeah, cool. 
It was uh, published in the in an anthology called The Art of War. Oh, that's right. That was Bucknest's uh, Art of War anthology. That was yeah, that was cool. It was a and all the proceeds went to Doctors Without Borders. Yep. Yeah, Petros put that together. Right. Wow. So this is all connected. And uh, Morrow loves the story. And there's a story that needs to be told about the necromancer if you haven't already done that. Oh, um, yeah, she's uh, well, the original. She's in Death of the uh, Death at the Pass, mm-hmm. but she's kind of a secondary character there. Could there could definitely be more there. Hmm. Give some more ideas for you. So yeah, I really enjoyed the collection, and if uh, those of you who haven't read it yet. Go out and pick it up. It's available on Kindle Unlimited. Go check it out. It's uh, if I, I like it, I keep mentioning, but I love the anything manifest illusions. I'm I'm eating it up. So, yep. I'm hoping by the end of the year, uh, if all goes well, last book will be out. Yeah, I've been reading. I've been watching the the Patreon updates. <laughs> we did scramble to go read what you know the little thing you post. So yeah, I'm excited to see that again. I, I always hate to feel like I'm putting pressure on you authors like. I want it now, but it's like, <laughs> no, I, it's I get it. I I'll, get I'll it. be in line waiting when it's ready, but yeah, I'll be rereading the first two bucks and get geared up for the third one when it's ready to go. But I know you're busy, have lots to lots of books to read and short stories to write and send off snail mail. So I appreciate you coming by <laughs> to talk about the collection. Uh, hopefully more people will uh, give it, a, give it a read if they haven't already. Yeah. And thanks for uh, inviting me on. This was, uh, this was fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting to hear your perspective, and I try to I try to avoid the you know like I mentioned before each story, but it's it's cool to hear your experience and it's like a snapshot of of your history, and so I, I think I think that was a good approach to kind of give us as fans a chance to see kind of through your eyes what what you're going through or your you know, perspective at the time. Yeah, I mean to me that their honesty is more fun than I'm pretending to be cool or successful yeah. uh, like i'd rather people you know read it and go like oh my god his early short stories are shit i could write that because if you can then you can do all the later shit too it just means you got to keep practicing yeah it's yeah it's a grind for sure and thanks for thanks for suggesting the book and thanks for joining and commenting on your stories michael yeah thanks for uh, for having me and thanks yeah. for hanging out with us too yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks for coming by and some great questions too. So thanks for interacting with us. But cool. Thanks everyone for coming by. And if you haven't read it, go pick it up, go give it a read. Kindle Unlimited, or you can buy the awesome cool copy like us, uh, you know, paperback lovers have. <laughs> go check it out. Thanks again, Michael, and we'll uh, we'll see everybody later. All right. Take care, man. <laughs>